Turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Life is tough. I doubt whether there's anybody here that could get a bunch of friends and relatives and neighbors together in a room and ask the question, how has your life been? Have you ever had anything tough to go through? And, and have someone in that group say, no, everything has just been a breeze. I've always got the job I wanted. As a matter of fact, I don't have to work. I've always lived where I wanted. I've never had to struggle financially. I've never gotten sick. I've never had to deal with difficulties. All my neighbors are great. All of my relationships at work are fine. Life has just been one beautiful trip for me. That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Life is tough. And Paul talks about it more in 2 Corinthians. That's the book that we're focusing on. And I want to do a, just a tad of an interview on that particular subject in this book. Because Paul talks about life being tough more in the book of 2 Corinthians than in any other book he has written. In fact, it's in this book that we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And you may want to look at this passage of Scripture. It's in this book that we have this particular passage of Scripture. But most people know it's in here, but usually don't know where to find it. It's in 2 Corinthians, where Paul is a little, little concerned because he sees many, many people boasting about their lives about their accomplishments, about their ability to do things. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I'm going to boast a little bit, he says. And then in verse 22, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I shouldn't have to say it this way. I shouldn't. It's almost foolish for me to say that I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. And then he gives some specifics in the next three verses. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys, in trips often. In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And all of this has wearied me from time to time. In weariness and toil, 
in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, going without food, in cold and naked, shivering in the cold because I don't have enough to wear. Besides taking care of the churches. And you say, <laughs> you have problems? And I say, I have problems. Someone always has it worse. Life is tough. Can we learn anything from Paul? What can we learn? I want to focus in the remaining time on just three or four passages of Scripture based on how much time we have. So I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want you to see if you and I can glean from the Apostle Paul things that will help us to understand if we are up to the challenge or what does it take to be up to the challenge to deal with all of these missteps, all of these tough things, all of these issues that we all have to deal with from time to time. Beginning at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He is the source of, you get any, any real comfort, He is the source of that comfort. Now look at verse 4, and you might as well put your name in with us and we. If Paul is referring just to himself and those who are with him, in this particular case it would be, uh, it would be Timothy, um, you just put your name in there. Because by the time he's finished with the book of 2 Corinthians, you and I are all ministers of Christ in the area of comfort. But here's his logic. Verse 4. God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations. Yes? Yes. And the reason why he comforts us that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. And we comfort them with the same comfort which we receive from God. A lot of times comfort is meaningless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't help. But comfort that God grants to us, we are able to comfort others with the same comfort. Verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds, but it abounds through Christ. Now, he does two things. In verse 6 he says, now if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and your salvation. And it's effective. Because you're going to endure the same sufferings that we're, going, we're enduring. And if we are comforted, in verse 6, it is for your consolation and salvation as well. Because our hope is steadfast for you. Because we know that as you are partakers, and this is where you get included, right off the bat in the Apostle Paul. For our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also will you partake of the consolation. And you and I then can share the consolation that God has given to us. We pass it to other people who are going through tough times. And then he illustrates it. As he does in the next couple of passages of Scripture, if we have time to go through them. For we do not want you to know, brethren... 
We don't want you to be ignorant of the fact that our trouble which came to us in Asia was horrible. Now, he's describing his time in Ephesus. He's describing the time that he got caught in a riot in the stadium there in Ephesus. And he thought for sure he was not going to make it. He thought for sure he was going to die. So he's caught in this riot. He no doubt has something to do with that riot because they're sharing the gospel in Ephesus. And in sharing the gospel in Ephesus, it's causing an economic problem for the city. And you know, economic problems can get people really riled up. And so the riot develops. People are going to lose their livelihoods because if they turn to Christ, they're not going to be in the occult and they're not going to be in witchcraft and all this whole industry that was so big in Ephesus is just going to go down the drain. And that's not sitting well with the population of Ephesus. People from all over the world are probably buying books, getting incantations and going to Ephesus in order to, in order to support this stuff. So he says, we don't want you to be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength. The burden was so strong, it was above what we, you, you've been in a situation where you said, oh, I don't know if I can do this any longer. I don't know if I can, I can keep going. I don't know if I can, I can make it to the end, to the finish line. Paul said it was beyond measure. It was above our strength so that we despaired even for our life. And yes, we were sure we were not going to live through this. We expected to die. We doubted our ability to endure through all of it. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Notice what he says in verse 9. Now, he's illustrating what he just told us about the ministry of consolation. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He goes straight, you know, he's going to lose his life. And he says, you know what? We're trusting in a God who raises the dead. Notice how he quickly, how he quickly goes to a spiritual application that in no way can you and I upset or change or challenge. See what he does? Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death. And he not only, now notice what he says. He says, listen, this is an ongoing process. He says, not only did God deliver us from so great a death, he does deliver us. Do you see that in verse 10? He says, in the past he delivered us, in the presence he delivered us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And we know that, see, he's, got, he's thinking broad here. He says, God delivers us in the past. He delivers us in the present. He's going to deliver us in the future. He's going to do it over that whole time period. And then in verse 11, he says, You also helping together in prayer for us. And notice, you know, he says, Our first thing is to, when life is tough, is to trust in God. And I realize that's easy to say. Trust in God. Trust in God. And prayers help. Verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us so that the ultimate goal is 
that we can thank the Lord. Notice how he puts it. So that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. There it is. Now, because it is so easy for us to talk about trusting the Lord, and, and the other applications that we have are going to be a little deeper than that, I thought we would look at Jeremiah chapter 17 for just a second because it's one of the classic passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that talk about trusting God. And I thought, okay, let's just get a little better handle on this. Let's understand this better. All right? So in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 and following, notice how he begins. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. You're cursed. It's a dead-end street. If you're going to trust in men, if you're going to trust in men's abilities, man's accomplishments, man's smarts to solve the problems of the world, I may add, you're cursed. Man makes flesh his strength. His heart departs from God. He stops thinking about God. He doesn't need God any longer. He doesn't even care about God any longer. It kind of reminds me of this scientist. Now, this is an allegory. It's, a, it's not a parable, but it's an allegory. It's a hypothetical situation, kind of like uh, John Bunyan's uh, 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 book, Pilgrim's Progress. But I think it's really good for modern day. One day there were a group of scientists who got together and decided that man had come a long way and no longer needed God. So they picked one scientist to go and tell him that they were done with him. Okay. The scientist walked up to God and said, God, we've decided that we no longer need you. We're at the point where we can clone people and do many miraculous things, so why don't you just go on and get lost? God listened very patiently and kindly to the man, and after the scientist was done talking to God, God said, Very well, how about this? Let's say we have a man-making contest. The scientist replied, Okay, great. I'm trying to do this in the test tube. Okay, great. But God added, Now, we're going to do this just like I did back in the old days with Adam. And the scientist says, Sure, no problem. I mean, in his confidence, he bent down, grabbed himself a handful of dirt. And God looked at him and said, no, 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 no. You got to go get your own dirt. Think about that. You got to go get your own dirt. So you see why Jeremiah in chapter 17 says in verse 6 that a man who trusts in man is like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good comes. That means he has no hope for the future. When we threw a tent in the car, my twin brother and I, and we went out west and we're crossing the Wyoming uh, prairie there. And, and for miles and for like 50 miles, we can see nothing but these scrub bushes. They're, they end up being tumbleweeds. You know, they, they sprout up. They're kind of stunted. They're, 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 and, and then they die in the desert and the wind blows them all over the place. They're tumbleweeds. So maybe think about this like a tumbleweed in the desert with no hope for the future. 
You shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. But blessed, in the man, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And this, this is Psalm 1, Psalm 1 right here. Whose hopes in the Lord, for he should be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river. And will not fear when he comes. He's not bothered by the heat because he's got roots to go down into the water. You know, we're less bothered by the, the, uh, the toughness of life and the trials of life because we got roots in God. <laughs> Not in our human selves. No wonder we're so panicky over it. And I hate to say this, like beating a dead horse, isn't it? It's that we're so panicky over this climate change. But anyway... Its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought. He's not worried by long months of drought because the roots are grounded in God, in the water. And during this whole time, during this whole time, he's not distracted. He can bear fruit. How many times have you, you got into a situation where you and I have been in our lives and we just say, oh, got to quit. I can't, I'm too distracted by all of this. I've got to quit. How many times has that happened? It happens. It happens. But this is an encouragement, encouraging passage of Scripture. So let's go to this, the second one. We'll get through the second one for sure. We'll probably mention the third one. We'll see. But then the second one's in chapter 4. Remember, Paul talks about the toughness of life. And occupation, you know, it doesn't matter. You'd look at this and you say, well, Paul, you were a preacher of the gospel, so you got hit pretty hard with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that was his occupational hazard. But notice, notice he would talk about his travels and he would talk about robbers and he would talk about getting, not getting enough to eat and weariness and all that kind of stuff. These are occupational hazards. What you and I need to do in order to apply this is not only talk about the fact that, think about the fact that we're ministers of God in providing consolation for others going through trouble, but all of us have occupational hazards. Everybody does. Everybody does. And if you can't think of any, I'll at least get five for your particular job. If you sit down and talk to me about it, I can do it. I've had to do it many times. So, in verse 7, Paul says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, let me explain myself. The reason why I'm going to verse 7 is so that I don't talk a long period of time and we never get to the point of what Paul is saying here. When he says we have a treasure, if you look at verse 6 and you look at verse 4, he describes this treasure and clearly it is that we have the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus as a treasure. It's like the light of the gospel. It's like you and I have the light of the gospel. And we are to share this light with everybody. The glory of God in the face of Jesus who became man, came to this earth, and he lived and he died and he rose again to save us from our sin. We have this, unfortunately, verse 7, we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels. Frail earthen vessels. There's no superman here. When I was growing up, I liked superheroes. 
We had a bunch of them. We had a bunch of them. Superheroes all over the place. Superman was my favorite. I liked Superman. But there is no Superman here. God doesn't say that any of us are supermen. We're not faster than a speeding bullet. We can't jump buildings with, a, with, a, with one bound. We can't do all of the fancy, wonderful things that, that Superman could do because we are in these frail earthen vessels but God says there's a reason for that. The reason for us being in these frail earthen vessels is that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, he's following that trust in God thing from chapter 1. So that the wonderful power that we see working is from God and not us. So that we look at each other and say, well, that surely ain't come from him. <laughs> After all, Paul was criticized a lot because he wasn't a very good speaker and his intentions were questioned a lot and he had, he had a lot of critics in the, in the church at Corinth and he wanted the people in Corinth to know that the reason why things are changing in people's lives is because it's the wonderful, excellent power of God. I don't want you to look at me and think I did anything. God did it all. And that's what it is to trust God. Now, once again, he gives to us some examples of his hardship and the toughness of life. We are what? Hard pressed on every side, not just one side, not just the second side, not just the third, not a fourth. Once again, it reminds me of the general who looked at his uh, scout and said, uh, is, the enemy, uh, is the enemy got us on the north? Yeah. Enemy got us on the south? Yeah. There's enemy on the west, enemy on the east? Yes. Well, then we're surrounded by the enemy, right? Yes. Well, the general said, then they won't get away this time. They won't get away this time. You see, he's hard-pressed on every side. Yet, what does it say? He's what? Not crushed. Perplexed, but not what? Everybody together. In despair. He's persecuted. He's hunted down, but not what? Forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And he's always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That. And here's the motive. Here's everything behind why Paul is saying what he's saying comes in the next phrase. That the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. We're delivered to death for Christ's sake. That. The life of Christ also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, if you read the rest of that, you're going to come to the conclusion that the Apostle Paul is taking a good look at things and he is looking on the bright side of both the negative and the positive. A lot of us say, well, just look on the bright side of things. No, God wants us to look on the bright side of the negative and the positive. The negative is the death of Christ. Without the death of Christ, we don't have the life of Christ. And as tough as this is for the Apostle Paul, I almost wrote it the wrong way in my notes. He says, look at the positive side. Look at the bright side of the negative and look at the bright side of the positive. If we have to contend with the death of Christ, we get to enjoy the life of Christ. 
We get to possess the life of Christ. He gives the practical illustration of the resurrection in chapter 4, in verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. And then notice again, he comes back to this issue of thanksgiving. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause what? Thanksgiving to abound to God. God wants us to be a thankful people. He wants us to come to church and praise Him. But if you have nothing to praise Him for, what are you going to do when you sit there? If you look at your life and you say, well, I, I, I don't have anything to thank the Lord. He wants to give us things to thank Him for. So we deal with the death of Christ so that we can have the life of Christ. Be thankful. So he deals with the issue in chapter 1. He deals with the consolation. He deals with the, with the trials and the afflictions. And then he deals with the consolation so that we can thank him. God is giving us things to thank him for. Now, I, I, I just want to read, uh, chap, go to chapter 6 for just a moment. Because there's another real quick point that I want to make. And then we'll close on this one. We won't go to the... Others, I just want you to know, it's in the daily Bible reading. You're going to run across these, and I wanted to point them out to you. Uh, well, you're actually in, into the book of 2 Corinthians. Now look at verse 4 of chapter 6 as we close here. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Put yourself in there. Paul once again is saying we are ministers of God. The world is looking at us. The world is expecting us to be able to respond. They'd love to see positive responses from us. They would love to see wise decisions from us. But in all these things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. In what? Tribulations. Much patience in needs. In much patience in distresses. In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting. You see, Paul, Paul really talks about the toughness of life. But he says patience in verse 4, and then in verse 6 he says, By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit who is indwelling me, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. I love that one. That's my favorite phrase in all of this. By the armor of righteousness. We battle, we deal with all of the needs and the distresses and the tribulations with the armor of righteousness. In the right hand, we have a sword where we can attack, and in the left hand, we have a shield where we are defended. And you and I immediately think of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, amen? And then he, he's real practical in verse 8. By honor and dishonor, doesn't make any difference. By evil report or good report, doesn't make any difference. They treat us as deceivers. They say we're liars, yet we tell the truth. They say we're unknown, and they snub us and ignore us, and yet we're well known. But as dying, behold, we live. And as chastened, yet we're not killed. See how... 
Paul rises to the surface and he models Christian graces and behavior during all the tough times. That's what he's doing. Patience, purity, knowledge, long-suffering, kindness. He models all of that. In verse 10, he says, as sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. And this is, what, this is why he's able to say, as sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. We're granting spiritual blessings. We're, we're, we're sharing spiritual blessings with other people, even though we're poor as can be from a physical perspective. And having nothing, and having nothing, he says, yet we possess. Wouldn't you like to have that mind? And having nothing, we possess all things. Wouldn't you love to have that mind? Now, in closing, I want you to think of something real quick, and then we'll be done here. I want you to think of something here. You know, there was an old country preacher who, years and years ago, he got up in the pulpit, and he liked to be a little dramatic, and he, he was reading the Philippians 4 passage, verse 13, that says, I can do all things. He took his glasses off and put them on the pulpit and says, Paul, I challenge on that. You can't do all things. And then he picked his glasses up and read the rest through Christ who strengthens me. Now, in closing, think about the boy on the train. I, I refer to this illustration. Most of you know this illustration as I share it. Think about the boy on the train who's traveling across the country. Just think about this for a minute, and we'll close. He's traveling across the country on a train in the middle of the night. There's one other guy, an older guy, sitting there, and he's watching this whole thing, wondering why this boy has to be on a train all by himself in the middle of the night. His curiosity gets the better of him, so he goes up, and he sits next to this boy, and he says to this boy, he says, how come you're all by yourself on a train in the middle of the night across country? The boy says, I'm not all by myself. Dad's the engineer. Points right straight to the engine. Dad's the engineer. Now think about this for a second. He's sitting in his seat thinking, I am not afraid because I am a big boy. You think? I'm not afraid because I'm smart and I know how to deal with this kind of situation. No. I'm not afraid because, and you know what he's thinking, because my dad is here. He's right here. And not only is he right here, he is controlling the train. In essence, when you get to the end of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that's the conclusion you and I have to reach. And so it ought to be a motivation for us to want to exercise our Christian graces so that the world can see the power of God. Not our power, not our strength. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, pray, pray as we close. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for leading the Apostle Paul to write the book of 2 Corinthians. With all the problems he talks about, all the occupational hazards he has as a minister of the gospel, we can identify with that. 
we can identify even with all of the, the casual concerns and the hazards that he had to deal with because, because of his travels, because of his circumstances, because of his moving about a lot. Life is tough. But Lord, Paul has given us some great things to think about. And I pray, Lord, that they would soak into our hearts and that we would be encouraged when we go out into this tough world to know that in your plan, we are up to the challenge. For your sake, for your honor, for your glory, amen.